Marco, how's everybody doing today? What a great day. What a great morning for worship together. And what a historic morning for us. Now, some of you are going, really? I just got out of bed and I made my way down to church. It's that historic? Well, for some of you it is. But for us collectively, you know what makes this such a great moment? We are linked in, simulcasting to our campus in Milton. We're going to be simulcasting into our Espanol campus and into all of our venues. Today, we are truly one church, one message, many expressions. And let's give our tech team a big hand for all that they're doing. And I don't know how this is going to work. This is a random thought. But I think in this room, if we could all yell, hey, Milton, this would be fun. Chris, do you think we could pull this one off? All right, if I do the countdown, like three, two, one, can you guys help me out? All right, three, two, one. All right, Milton, there's a big shout out to you this morning. They're watching in. We're all linked together. And uh, what a great, great experience. And so those of you in Milton, in case some of you are looking at me, go, who are you on the screen? Well, I'm Pastor Doug. I sort of reside over here at the other campus, but we're all one church together, and you have a fantastic church family right here this morning. And those of you in the chapel, you're linked in with us. We welcome you in the video cafe as well. For the rest of us this morning, we're all going to get together. Get your hearts ready. You're going to have a great experience. This is our Global Missions Awareness Sunday. And when we were thinking about, you know, how do we raise the value of what we do, every year we look for moments where we can allow the Holy Spirit to come in, tap our shoulder, probe deep into our hearts, fire our spirits up again, because we know that the mandate is that we would go into all the world. And every one of us, I really believe every one of us has a passion to see this happen. And what we can do collectively in God's hands is an amazing thing. So today, I'm so pleased to be able to introduce our guest speaker. Matt Janes has been pastoring in the area. A number of years ago, about seven years ago, he transitioned into a role with what we call STM. That's the Short-Term Missions Network, which is facilitated through our national office. And Matt's main priority is to help individuals who have a, a call, who feel a call to go into a short-term experience, whether for a few weeks, a few months, whatever that measure looks like, he comes alongside and he coaches them and prepares them. Then he steps into churches like ours. When we send out, and we're going to be doing that this year, when we send out our short-term missions teams, we partner with Matt. We have him come in, and he helps skill base us, train us, equip us for what we're going to experience. So he's an indispensable asset, not only to our fellowship, but to our local church. And he's one of our priority partners, and we're so pleased to have you here today, Matt. Come on up here. Would you give a big hand to Matt James as he comes this morning? Thank you. A couple of months ago, my son said, Dad, will you volunteer for my class? I thought that sounded kind of lame, so I said no at first. And then he kept pressuring me. He said, but Dad, you're the coolest dad out there. And I want you volunteering with my class. I said, Ty, it really depends on what it is. What is it that you want me to do? He said, well, we're going on this school trip to St. Marie among the Hurons. Have you ever heard of this before? Yeah, you've been there before. Okay, great. Uh, Anyone here ever foolishly volunteer with a bunch of grade fives before? Yeah, you take your life into your own hands when you do this. But my son was pumping up my tires. He kept saying, Dad, everybody at school thinks you're the coolest parent, and so I want you to volunteer. And so uh, he said to me, he gave me updates. He said, Dad, when they told all of the kids who was going to be there, 
He said, they all wanted to be with you. So he said, at first it was Mr. Kodosky, the teacher. Who wants to be with Mr. Kodosky? Five kids put up their hands. That's not really good for Mr. Kodosky. And then they said, what about Mrs. Rutherford, another mom? And about another five kids put up their hands. And they said, well, who wants to be with Mr. Janes? And he said, 25 kids put up their hands. And I felt pretty good about volunteering then. And Ty came back and he said, Dad, my class loves you. Please come. Please be as cool as you possibly can and and join us for the day. So I did. We got on the bus. That's a wild ride. They know know the words to every single song on the radio, these 10-year-olds. It's incredible. And so the music's pumping and the kids are having a great time. We get there. And uh, we played lacrosse together. I was pounding a couple of kids with the sticks and, you know, shoving them against the wall. Doing cool dad things, right? And my, ty, my, ty, or, uh, my son Ty was just loving it. He was beaming. I didn't really understand why he wanted me there. I didn't really understand why volunteering for him was such an important thing for me. Until I found myself at this table where we were supposed to use clay to make some, some icons and some faces or, or do some things with. And so I'm sitting at the table, and all of a sudden there's about 10 or 15 from my team of girls who have surrounded me. And I don't understand why, but they're all getting closer and closer. Some of them are getting up, they're standing behind me. Some of them are scooching over, a little bit inappropriate for a 41-year-old man to have this many 10-year-old girls around him. I'm wondering, what is going on here? What's the deal? And then the questions come, and I understand. So who does Tyler like, they asked. Who do you think he wants to go to the preteen dance with? They they pushed a little further. Then who do you think he really wants to kiss? Does he talk about me at home? And in that moment of volunteering, I realized, I am the father of a 10-year-old hottie. And it's my son. I don't know how you feel about volunteering. I, I don't volunteer all that often. Uh, over the years, I've participated in a t-ball for my son and done a little bit of coaching that way. This was my second school trip that I'd ever gone on, but I actually enjoyed myself. Stats today say that 47% of Canadians volunteer. Why do you volunteer? Uh, maybe you've asked yourself that question as you have participated in doing some volunteer work. Now, some people are, are all in. Let's volunteer. I'd love to do that. Some people are skeptical and say, well, well, it depends. What about this organization? What are they really about? Can I throw my weight behind them? Can I, can I really get involved in what they do? Are they authentic or is it a scam? Uh, what, maybe others like you have asked, what do I get in return? What's in it for me? If I'm going to do this great thing for humanity, (laughs) does it make me feel good about myself? Or maybe you've said, why would I help them when I have all of my own problems? I could use a couple of volunteers in my life. Volunteering is, as it's defined, an act of spending time and providing unpaid skill or service intending to benefit an organization or another individual. So, in a nutshell... Volunteering is doing something for somebody else that that fits your skill for free. Working for free. How many of you love to work for free? Would you volunteer at your current job? No hands at all. Milton, are you there? Would you volunteer at your current job? I can't see the hands, so I don't know how that's going to work in the future. Yeah, but that's fun though. It's good to play with. So I looked it up on the internets. 
you know, because everything online is true. So I went on the web and I said, web, you know, have you ever asked Siri a question? I asked Siri what she thought of short-term missions one day. And she said, I don't even know how to answer that question. So that's, that's complicated, right? But I said, so what about volunteering to, to the Google, you know, page? And tons of people come up with their benefits for volunteering. One person suggests that there's endless learning. It expands your worldview. You get to see how other people live or how other people do life. It boosts your self-confidence. It adds to your leadership skill, your leadership abilities. Someone else suggested that it makes you healthy. There's a stress-free version of you that emerges when you volunteer. Another person says, it involves you in a positive vibe. There are good vibrations when I volunteer. When I give of myself, it makes me feel good and I become happier. Someone else added that it it improves your connection with the world for career development and for making new friends. It's another way of networking. And uh, so I'm pretty excited about my definition of volunteering and I'm explaining it all to my wife. I'm saying, you know, these are the things I'm learning about volunteering. She said, great. I'd like you to start volunteering in our kitchen immediately. Right? I wonder if any of these benefits of volunteering were in David's mind when he volunteered to take on the giant Goliath. Can you picture David sitting around the sheep and saying, well, this is probably a good career move if I take on the giant. You know, probably reduce some of my stress that I'm feeling right now. And it's a chance to network with other communities, (laughs) other tribes. Do you think he was sitting there thinking there would be a happier version of himself if he decided to suit up and take on the giant? Probably not. David's story of volunteer mission happens in 1 Samuel 17. If you have your Bibles, feel free to join me there. 1 Samuel 17, or episode 17 for those of you who speak the language of television. This is season one of Samuel, episode 17. You Netflixers right now, you're like, oh, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. First Samuel 17, shortly after he's anointed king by Samuel. Now, right now, he's the secret king. Nobody actually knows that he's the king because he's been anointed privately. God has removed his spirit from Saul, the current king, and Samuel has now anointed David as the coming king. But Saul doesn't know about it yet. You're likely familiar with the story, either through Sunday school. Some of you can picture right now, if you close your eyes real tight, you can picture the flannel graph board and those felt characters that stuck and and made those stories come alive every Sunday. And Israel is at it again. It's a period of war. And they're at it again. They're tangling with the Philistines, one of their favorite enemies of the day. They've actually pitched camps on two different hills. So if you can picture two hills and a valley in the middle, this is where this story takes place. The Israelites on one hill and the Philistines on another and a valley in the middle. The Philistines, they have a champion warrior. You've heard of him. He's Goliath. And we use the David and Goliath story, usually anecdotally or through metaphors. Typically, even a couple of times a year, we might say, oh, that's so much like David and Goliath. So you know what it's about. It's about one guy who's massive and strong 
and powerful and another guy who's not. And that guy who's not decides to take on the giant. We know the story. We know the analogy. But let me describe Goliath. Maybe some of the details, his specs, have not made it to your brain yet. So let me just fill you in on the details. He's nine foot nine. He's kind of like Pastor Jeff with Pastor Doug on his shoulders. Right? I want to see that later, by the way. In a foyer near you. Milton, I'm sorry. We cannot show you that image. He's got a coat of armor that weighs 200 pounds. I'm about 220 on a good day. And um, so that'd be like me on top of, picture that, Doug on top of Jeff and me on top of both of them as the coat of armor. It's getting a little awkward for Jeff. But he's nine foot nine. He can handle it. He's, he's ginormous. He's got a spear with a tip on it that weighs the size of a small infant, 25 pounds. Anybody here have a 25 pound child? Picture your child at the end of a spear. <laughs> that is what Goliath is carrying around. And someone carried his shield, probably because of of the, uh, the weight of the armor and, and the spear that he had to hold, but someone else carried his shield. It was so large. Goliath would come out, and on a typical day, he would taunt the Israelites. He would say, hey, send your best man out. Bring it on. Bring you on, one-on-one, me against you, your best against the best. Goliath. I picture him just kind of beating his chest and you know, swinging his, his spear tip around at that small child on the end. Goliath would come out and he would say, mano a mano, me against you. And the scriptures tell us that he did this for 40 annoying days. 40 days. Can you believe it? 40 days. Hey, bring it on. Hey, you guys, send out your best. Let's go. Let's do this. And I can just picture after day three, it just getting super annoying. But in this story, there are no volunteers who are willing to take on Goliath until David comes on the scene. See, the Israelites, they were not interested in a one-off to become slaves to the Philistines. They didn't have a 10-foot giant over at their camp, and they were terrified that nobody was stepping up. So that's the scenario where David comes on the scene. Nobody wants to take this guy on every day. Bring it on, you guys. And most of David's family were actually involved in the war. Scriptures tell us that David's brothers were already on the front lines. They were fighting, but David hadn't. I don't know if it was, uh, you know, he stayed back to take care of the family sheep. He was a shepherd. So I don't know if he was anti-war or if he just thought it was just a bad idea, but he didn't want to do it. It wasn't something for him. He wasn't feeling it. And one day, David's dad suggested that he go out to his brothers and he meet them with some food. I call it like a cheese and cracker run. The scriptures tell us it's a cheese and bread and he goes out to meet them and feed them and he wants an update. He wants to find out how they've been doing. So David's dad sends him off and says, go check on your bros and bring them a little snack. So he does that. And while David arrives, the men are lining up in their battle positions. He hears Goliath's daily challenge. Hey, me against you. Who wants a piece of this, right? And he's standing there and he's taunting, probably beating his chest and, and, uh, you know, showing how strong he is. Who's got, who's got some, uh, who's got the, you know, the guts to take me on? And David hears this and he's like, hey, what's going on? And he asks a couple of questions up to the people around. 
and his brothers are kind of upset that he's a, appeared at this moment. They actually accuse him of just wanting to see them die or watch the war. And he kind of challenges them. And he, and he asks a question. He says, well, just let me clarify the prize. So I don't know about you, but that's this classic volunteer moment that I think about whenever I'm asked to volunteer. I think, well, let me just find out what's in it for me again. So I understand there's a problem. I understand there's a need, there's an issue and, and you need help and no one else has stepped up. So maybe it's my turn, but let me clarify. What am I getting myself into? What's the prize? What do I get if I do this? David clarifies and he finds out that the prize is a wife and no taxes. <laughs> I know right now you're all thinking, would I do that? Would I do that? Would I do that? Would I do that? Maybe if it came without the wife, I'd love the no taxes. Maybe some of you are picturing the opposite. I'd take an extra wife. I'd be happy to pay my taxes. I don't know. But each of us clarifies what we want in those moments. Each of us decides when there's a problem, there's an issue, and they're asking for help, what's in it for me? What's this going to cost? What are the rewards? What are the benefits? That's an issue with volunteering. But David decides it's enough. And in 1 Samuel 17, verse 29, where we're going to read from, This is where he's asking the questions and he's clarifying with his brothers. And they're getting upset at him. They say, come on, you only came to see the spoils of battle. And he says, what have I done now? I was only asking a simple question. And he walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Yes, check. Wife, check. Taxes. Won't have to pay them. That's great. When it was finally realized what David meant, someone told King Saul and the king sent for him. Verse 32, don't worry about a thing, David told him. I'll take care of this Philistine. And Saul then says, don't be ridiculous. How can a kid like you fight with a man like him? You're only a boy, and he has been in the army since he was a boy. Remember in this moment, David probably creates a little bit of shame for Saul. Because Saul has not been willing to go out and fight the giant. David, in this moment, becomes the volunteer king, the king in waiting. He hasn't yet ascended to the position. Not everybody knows his deal. He's just simply a shepherd boy who stepped up and seized his moment. He saw that there was a need, a problem, an issue in the world, and he decided, I'm ready to tackle it. And of course, Saul says, "Uh, I don't think you can handle this. I don't think you're, you're man enough. You don't, you know, there's... We should get something, someone bigger. So there's this debate that goes on between Saul and David as to whether or not David can actually handle himself. And David then spits out his credentials. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've tried to justify why I belong in a role or why I should uh, be given some sort of opportunity. And I'll usually say, well, I've been there before. I've done this. I've, I've tasted this before. I have some experience. And so David gives his credentials. He says, I've torn lions and bears apart with my hands. And this punk is next. That's pretty good. Yeah, I would like, I'd say, okay, all right. Good enough for me. And so Saul does that. He's heard enough. Because someone else has volunteered and now he doesn't have to. This is also a very typical volunteer moment. Where maybe you and a couple of others are, are looking at the opportunity. You're looking at the problem. Maybe in the missions world, you've seen an issue abroad. Perhaps it's about uh, the issue of human trafficking. Or maybe it's about orphan care or clean water or microfinance or, or evangelism, church planting. Whatever it is in the mission scope, 
that's caught your attention. Maybe you and a few others have gotten close and, and someone else has jumped in. You've said, I was close. <laughs> I almost had to do that thing. But, but I'm so glad that somebody else did it. And Saul's having one of those moments. And Saul then, he feels a little bit responsible. Well, at least if he's going to go off into this battle and do it on his own, I should give him some of my, uh, my warfare stuff, some of my, my armory. And he tries to put a whole bunch of stuff on him and his war clothes and his armor. And it's kind of like a medieval version of say yes to the dress, right? He's, he's fitting it on. There's probably a bunch of royal mirrors around. And he's trying to hang all this stuff on him. And David says, this stuff's too heavy for me. I like to travel lighter. This gear, it doesn't work for me. And he ditches it all. And he takes with him only what he has in his hand. This is my favorite part of the story. David says, what I have right now will do just fine. How many times do we, in our circles, feel jealous towards someone else's spiritual gift and say, what we have isn't good enough? If I could only sing like Pastor Dwayne. You know, if I could only play the drums like Joe Ash. If I could only preach like Pastor Doug. And we look at some of these upfront gifts and we say, our gift isn't good enough. What I have to offer the world doesn't count in the same way. Well, I'm here to tell you, Portico, that there's a new kind of missionary on the scene. And it's a missionary very similar to David who says, what I have in my hand is good enough. How God has gifted me and how God has assembled this right now is good enough for this moment. And I'm taking it. And these are the kind of missionary volunteers that your church has, has given me the privilege of connecting with. And Goliath, he sees David coming with his shepherd's bag, a sling, and five smooth stones. Let's review his weaponry. A staff, a shepherd's bag, <laughs> imagine that, a sling, and five smooth stones. David just stops for a little bit of ammo, and he says, what I have will do just fine. I don't need that stuff, Saul. That's, that's stuff you need. I love the way that David refuses to try to be somebody else. He's just himself, and he says, what I have for this moment will do just fine. So David says, <laughs> uh, Goliath meets David, and he's, he's pretty offended. Is Seriously? This is who you send my way? This little punk? This little rascal? Has he even hit puberty yet? And he says, you got to do better than this. And then he says, well, this is going to be easy for me. I'll just feed his flesh to birds and wild animals. And David says, actually, that's what I'm going to do with your head. That's <laughs> some tough talk, right? There's some trash talking going on here. This is in your Bible. If you think the Bible's boring, reread this story. These two guys are talking about feeding each other to wild animals. This will get you awake on a Sunday morning, won't it? It's almost not important what happens next. So let's just, let's just end this episode with a cliffhanger. You'll have to, if you don't know what happens next, and, and you, you would just read it later this afternoon. Or sometime this week. Take a look at what happens next. Because here's what I want to camp out on in this story. What I love about David's participation is that he saw a problem. A problem was presented to him. Hey, we got this giant. He's really bugging us. He, he's torturing us. And we're going to be in slavery to them if we don't defeat them. We got to move on with our lives. And this guy's getting in the way big time. And David says, I got it. Oh, wait, a wife? No taxes? Okay. So he had his clarifying moment. We all do that. Okay, I'll do it. He volunteers to be a part of the solution. And he, use, 
He used simply what he had in his hand. I would like to thank you. You Porticans is what I call you. That's, that's your people group name, by the way. Porticans have been behind the STM Networks ministry, my, my ministry, for the last seven years. You sent a lot of funds my way, Pastor Doug, Pastor Jeff. You've enabled me to do my work and to worry less about where my funding is going to come from because of your generosity. When you give to mission work at Portico, it goes to the stories of the people that I'm about to tell you about. So as you listen to these stories, I want you to feel proud. I want you to have a connecting moment and say, I gave so that that could happen. And when you sow obediently through the services and the, and the other giving methods that they have here at Portico, these kinds of things are allowed to take place. I'm going to tell you about K.E. Wilson, if you don't mind. Just jump into K.E. K.E. was actually an American who came to us and said, uh, I have a background and a specialty in animation. How can you use me? This girl just graduated from USC in California with a degree in animation. And when she did, DreamWorks came calling. They offered her a job. They said, hey, would you like to come work for us? Would you like to do some animation? Have you ever seen a DreamWorks movie before? Maybe your kids have seen one. Yeah, DreamWorks is, is like the big time. It'd be the equivalent of making it to Disney right upon graduation. And K.E. said, uh, you know what? Thanks, DreamWorks, but I have a calling on my life. I, I want to see how I can use my work to do mission. Here's a picture of, uh, of K.E. here with her graduation. She said, where can I use my skill set for God? So we partnered her up with Pomoja Ministries in Tanzania. Pomoja disciples cultures through media. They use singing with choirs. They use media with recording CDs. They have put on films that have made it into the Tanzanian International Film Festival. They have their own TIFF, by the way. And, and right now, they're using cartoons to teach financial literacy to Maasai warrior tribes so that they can learn about the advantages of banking. And so KE has done a little bit of artwork and has created a moment like you're about to see on the screen. Samahani, Afisa, Habari, Sijambo rafiki yangu, lakini kuna nini ndani ya kasha? Ina sauti ya kutisha. Hii hii ni mbinu yangu mpya ya usalama. Aha, Hikima aliniambia umepata shida kuhusu bidhaa zako pole rafiki yangu. Asante. Ni vizuri utunze mboga na matunda kwa uangalifu huu. Sisi sote tumeitwa tuwe mawakili wema wa mali yetu. Je, umefikiria usalama wa fedha yako pia? Sidhani kama mlinzi wangu mpya ataweza kutunza fedha yangu. Ni mdogo mno kupambana na wezi wakubwa wale. Umesema vizuri, lakini kuna vituo rasmi vinavyoweza kukutunzia fedha yako kwa usalama. Watu wengi katika kijiji wameanza kutumia mabenki. Sawa sawa. Lakini sijaibiwa fedha. Ni nyanya tu. Nashukuru kusikia hivi rafiki yangu. Lakini Usalama ni sababu mojawapo tu kati ya nyingi nzuri kwa ajili ya kufungua akaunti ya benki. Kweli? Ndio. Akaunti ya benki 
itakusaidia pia kuweka akiba kwa ajili ya wakati ujao ni kama gala za Yusufu kule Misri yani mahali pa salama unapoweka fedha ili uweze kuwa mwangalifu zaidi katika matumizi yake I apologize half of the uh, uh, captions are cut off there but you would have understood that the one man is talking with another man about how to save his money and that it's better to put it in a bank uh, in your village uh, than to store it away in your village. Did you see the word Kijiji up there? <laughs> Swahili word for small village. Uh, so it's better to put it in a bank than your small village and tuck it between the proverbial mattress. And Ke is learning Swahili. She's there for six months. And she's learning how to put these, uh, these productions together, storyboarding, drawing, and animating. She's using her degree so that people can come to faith in Jesus. They use these films to travel to small Kijijis uh, all around and to share the love of Jesus with, uh, with cultures. They're discipling people through media. She's my missionary animator. So you might be saying, well, I, I thought missions work was all about the preaching and the teaching and the upfront stuff and the crusades and evangelism and church planting. There's people who are called to do that. That may not be you. You see, K.E. is simply using what God put in her hand. And she's using it to connect cultures to Jesus. Let me tell you about Ben. Ben came to us uh, about a half a year ago and said, I need to complete my Bible college internship. Uh, he'd done distance ed for a long time. He'd actually done distance ed from around the world. Uh, he'd traveled and been to about 30 different countries. He did something called the World Race, 11 countries in 11 months. And Ben said, but I, I can't figure out my internship. Uh, would you help us do that? And so we sent him to Kolkata, India to work with Stu and Monique Shaw. Uh, where Ben is uh, connecting with street children in the Howrah train station. I think James Woodley is here. Is James, James the Beard Woodley here? There he is back there. James did this a couple of years ago. He's a front runner. Yes. You were like John the Baptist to this guy that I'm talking about right now. You actually look like him too. You got any wild honey in that beard? I think you probably do. So James Woodley, a portican, he did this. But then Ben went off. He did this for six months. Ben's skill is actually woodworking. I'll show you a picture of Ben just with some street kids here. Uh, Ben loves street kids. He said, if they live in a house, I don't want to meet them. He said, I want to meet them if they just don't have a home, if they don't have a place to live. I want to meet street children. So he'd go to the Howard train station where they'd connect with children. At some stage or another, it takes a little bit of work, but they get children to come to their children's home. That's a little bit further away. And Ben would spend his weeks in the train station, his weekends in the children's home. And he would teach them woodworking. Here's a picture of, uh, uh, of a finely crafted bench that he made with all with hand tools in India. This is like a finger mortise uh, joint thing. For those of you who are no woodworking, you know the words I'm, I'm using there. Uh, very fine work, and he used it all with hand tools. All that Indian kids can actually acquire there. And he taught them how to do some woodworking, make things so that they could sell them at the local markets and improve their own lives. And Ben is connecting with these kids who usually would spend the day, James could tell you, spend the day sniffing glue at the train station. And instead of doing that, he's handing them a skill and giving them a chance at a better life, all the while telling them about Jesus. And through the Shaw's ministry, they're seeing a whole bunch of people come to faith in Jesus. And the church there is growing. Yeah, praise God. Absolutely. Let me tell you one more story. I want to tell you about our Persian persuader. I can't tell you her name because she's in a restricted access scenario. 
I like to say creative access. It sounds a little better. And uh, so she's originally from Iran, but made her way to Canada a number of years ago and started feeling that the Holy Spirit was nudging her to go and make a difference in her former area of the world. So she went off to the Middle East last year and she acted as a translator for a company in this nation that is just around where she's actually from. So refugees are spilling out of Iran into this neighboring country and she is acting as a translator to help assimilate them into the community there. And while these Muslim believers are re assembling their lives. They're in a position where they're open to the gospel. Life has not worked out for them in the country that they're leaving. And now they're here in this country where my Persian persuader works. And she's meeting them and telling them about Isa, Jesus. Someone who Muslims are very familiar with. But I've been told that most Muslims don't come to faith in Jesus, not because they don't love Jesus or understand Jesus. It's because they don't personally know a Christian. And so my Persian persuader is getting to know Muslims. And she's helping them to settle. She's finding houses for them. She's getting them registered with the government and doing paperwork and all the stuff that they would find difficult in another culture. And she speaks their language. She speaks Farsi. And she's having these wonderful moments. She had enough people show an interest in Jesus that she began a small church. She's also discipling Christians through Skype. She says, Matt, I have a Skype services all the time. So I call her my skishionary because she's a Skype missionary and she's using today's technology to reach people for Jesus. She says, we have Facebook groups where, where Christians are finding each other, Muslim background believers. Now they have something else in common. They found Isa, their Messiah. And here's a couple of pictures. She gathered them for a service. And here's my friend, the Persian persuader in the middle leading worship with converts to Christianity in Arabic. (laughs) I don't know about you, but when I see these kinds of words on a screen, I get excited. Because Jesus is the Jesus of all cultures. And he translates to all nations. And here in this country, they're finding people come to Jesus. Uh, Check out the next picture. They had a baptismal service. Yeah, come on. 25 people or so got baptized. It's so exciting and so exhilarating when you connect with people who have seen a problem in the world and they've decided to be a part of the solution. You know, a lot of times when we look at something, we say, this isn't the way I like it. I would like to change this. We don't do anything about it. We just take shots from our seats. Instead of getting up and doing something about it, you're giving has enabled me to find the next generation of missionaries. I like to call them a new kind of missionary. And these people are bringing the gospel around the world. And Portico is a huge part of that. So I thank you. But that's not where I'm going to leave it. What are you good at? What's your skill? David, he looked down at his hand and he said, well, I've got a sling. I've got a staff. I've got my shepherd's bag. And there's this problem. And King Saul tried to just kind of project on him and said, you need all my armor if you're going to succeed here. And he said, no, I don't need that stuff. The way that God has gifted me is working out just fine. And he went into that battle, and I'm not going to, no spoiler alert, I'm not going to tell you what happens. 
But he goes into that battle saying, the way you gifted me, God, is just fine. He volunteered for that moment. So today, on a World Mission Sunday, and I understand you're doing this for a couple of weeks, so you'll be hearing a number of messages about mission. I want to ask you, what are you doing with what God's put in your hand? I've had to ask that question of myself. Uh, My gift, there aren't many, but I seem to be gifted a little bit at hospitality. I love having people over. So this has actually become the thing that I do in Canada. As I am here and living and not traveling abroad, what's my mission? I ask myself that question all the time. So my wife and I have an open door policy with our home. It's led us to incredible moments in our community. Last summer, I got the chance to marry some Hindus in our shared backyard. It's probably one of the highlights of my ministry career. They asked me, they said, we're okay if you do a Christian wedding. And we have some of these things that we'd like you to add in, but it's okay if you take those and, and, and uh, do whatever you want with them. So I took the, the Mangal Sutra and I, and I took the seven prayer blessing and I used it and I prayed it to God. And this has given me amazing opportunities with my neighbors to connect with them. Maybe you are not called to any one of these countries. Maybe no one's asking you to volunteer abroad. But perhaps your mission is on the home front. You're not disqualified from a response today. What's your mission? Look at your hand. What has God put in it? For me, it's food and drink. (laughs) I like to vacuum. I like to dust. It's a little bit of a weird thing. I like to clean toilets. So we're having people over. We, We had someone over on Friday night for about five hours. They wouldn't leave. I was so hospitable. That should be your goal, to have people in your lives to intersect Christ with their life. And maybe some of you, God is calling you to go abroad. This is your moment. Take a risk. Look what you have in your hand and go kill the giant. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for Portico. What a great church. What a great group of people. Thank you for the Milton campus connecting with us today. And Father, I pray that for those who who sat through this, listened to me talk about volunteers, uh, who feel that they need to do something now, I just pray that you would move them a little bit further along. That you would move them closer to that thing that they've just got to do. Lord, there are people in this room today who I know you have spoken to already. They have felt the call, they've felt the, the desire to go, but it just didn't seem to work out. Or there were excuses of why they couldn't go. And so I pray today that the stories that they've heard would encourage them to take that step a little bit further. To take a look at the giant and say, I got this. I can do something about this. I have a gift. I have a skill. I can offer something. I can be a part of the solution. And Lord, I just pray that you would call up and raise more of this new kind of missionary in this room. That there'd be people who would volunteer. Maybe it's a gap year. Maybe it's a early retirement, maybe it's a midlife crisis. Lord, I just pray that people would be obedient to what you are calling them to do with their lives. Jesus, thank you for a church that surrounds people with opportunities to go on short-term trips and leaders that prepare them with training. And I just pray that as people work through this message today, that you would nurture that call in their lives, that people would be ready to disciple them through it that you would empower them by your spirit. They would know that they're not going alone, but they're empowered by you and your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for the chance to speak to my friends today.
In your name, amen.